All right, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Good, man. How you doing? Yeah, welcome. Uh, so, everybody, we got uh, Amir Rosick on today. Uh, you should be familiar if you followed my channel for a while. I've, I've had him on a few times just um, talking about things like crypto and a few other bits and pieces here and there in the past. And he's, he's just a really smart guy that I like to hang out with and uh, talk to. I was, I was downtown last week, and we got together for a bit. That was, that was a lot of fun. Well, that podcast is going to drop maybe two weeks from now. That one was fucking good. <laughs> yeah, you, I walked in there and I told your crew, I'm like, all right, you guys ready to be enlightened and offended at the same time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have a lot of good uh, sound clips from that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you get plenty. So I, so I basically unleashed um, a, lot of, a lot of cold hard truth bombs that I've uh, not really talked about that often. So um, if you haven't subscribed to Amir's channel, it's just Amir Rosick, as you say his name on his screen. So you go check it out. He's, um, dude, like you're all over the place. Like you're a, you're kind of an everything guy. Like I met yeah. you probably close to 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, we're at a conference and it's like, Hey, how are you? And what do you do sort of thing? And you were this like kind of shaved head, squared off jaw dude that was just like, yeah, I was throwing around kettlebells and I was in jail and, you know, I got in runs with a law and I'm an entrepreneur now sort of thing. So, you know, like you're in your early thirties and, I don't talk to you about this too much, but you know, a lot of guys that like show up in my space, they, they get stuck in like a area of like sulking where they get like mm. so tied up in the past that they have a hard time moving on. And I like guys like you that kind of have like a zero to hero story. Um, when we were doing your podcast downtown the other day, you were telling me that you kind of grew up in like a fatherless household. Mm -hmm. What was the origin story about your childhood? Like, how did that work out for you? Uh, my dad comes from former Yugoslavia, typical Eastern European family. His, my mom, and this is recently that I found out, I believe is his third wife. Um, so I have a half sister, whole different family back home. Don't really talk to them, but it was like atypical. I want to say atypical, maybe like I understand why he behaves like that. I did, I did some analysis on him, but uh, <laughs> I think you said it the best word. He was like a piece of furniture. Yeah, that's like one of those uh, fathers that are still in the household, but they're basically a piece of furniture that, you know, they're not that interested in being a father or engaging with their kids. Like, is that there's like zero interest? Like, yeah, like absolutely like zero nil, not a. And that's what lets you get in a lot of trouble, right? Like, that's uh, that's uh, one of the things that we talked about was like. I was a renegade, man. Like, I did yeah. whatever the fuck I want, when I want, no one stopped me. Like, the shit yeah, that yeah. I caused when I was younger. Like, man, I brought, I brought fucking like squat, uh, what's it called? Uh, Police teams. What are they called? Uh, oh, the uh, squat, like those. Um, yeah, squads. Christ, my fucking house and my fucking parents, man. Think about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you do to invite them to your house the first time? Oh fuck! My brother was a shit disturber too, so we got these two fucking shit disturbers. <laughs> I had I had the cops at my house once when I was a kid, and it was because there was a snowstorm, and I was driving by this back road behind my house, and my buddy in the car goes, "There's nobody on the road. Eh? There's like three, like three, four inches of snow." My buddy goes, "Do a donut out of nowhere," yeah. and there's this set of headlights coming over to crest over the hill, and it turns out to be a cop. So he sees me doing like all these donuts in the middle of the road. I figure I'm gonna run home and put the car in the garage, and he won't bother me. Only he's got the cherries on in front of my house, and I had to deal with that. But mm. that was the worst worst extent of what I ever did as a kid. So you said that you got in a lot of trouble. We were talking about this before in your podcast, but it's like, you know, boys that don't have um, access to strong masculine uh, energy and boundaries when they're growing up will find a way to like throw rocks on the ice to test how strong it is. Right? Bro, my mentorship was fucking 90s gangster rap. <laughs> 
So what happened, man? Because you said you got in trouble with the law. Like you were in jail a for bunch a bit of time. too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I spent a bunch of times. Uh, longest stretch I did was uh, six and a half months in the maximum security. Yeah. And what did they pull you in for? Uh, I was charged numerous times with assault and finally they got me on the fourth charge. Right. Yeah, How old were you then? Plea, oh, 19. Shit, man. Like your story is a lot like Dan, Dan Martell's. I remember he, you know, he had a lot of run-ins with, um, uh, you know, the law and I think he stole a car at one point and he said he pulled a gun on himself and he tried to, and he dropped it. He dropped it or it didn't go off. There was something wrong with the firing pan. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot and of he really, was, he, was, he, he was a juvie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, there's a lot of really successful guys out there that, um, you know, have done quite well in their life and turned themselves around from like zeros to literal, literal heroes, not only once, but multiple times they end up reinventing themselves. Um, so this was your teens? Like this was pretty much your entire teen years? Oh, I, got, was getting in I, got of the law? Of, I got barely past elementary school because I was a hyperactive kid. My mom has really good common sense. They want to put me on drugs to kind of calm me down. She said, fuck that. Mm -hmm. I went to high school and I remember the exact moment where I said, this isn't for me. I was sitting in geography class in the back and I'm like, what the fuck is this all about? Like, you were coloring within the lines? Yeah, I'm like, this is, remember like, that? I'm out, I'm out. I never went and then uh, started hanging around with the same people that think like me. So, you know, want to be gangsters. And uh, I remember I, I, I literally never went back to school. I just chilled, jammed, hustled. I was a grinder. So grade nine, uh, 15, 15. 14, 15 years old. And then uh, uh, beginning of grade 10, so summer passed, they called me in and they said, yeah, well, you're out. And then that's it. There's the, that's the end of my schooling. Okay. And then that's when you got involved with like drugs and crime. And, and I wasn't, like honestly, man, I was, I was a connector. So it wasn't like, I was never, Hustle. yeah, like for, I, I was really good at commissions. Let me put it that way. Like whatever anybody, whatever anybody needed at any given time, I just knew a lot of people and I connected people together and I took my commission. Very similar to James Altucher's story. Yeah. So, and that's why when I got into affiliate marketing a long time ago, it kind of was like a natural fit for me. I'm like, oh shit, you, you just take a clip, you know, it makes sense to me. Um, how long, but, how long, but, uh, how long did you do all that stuff? Been, yeah. Fuck. Like all the affiliate marketing stuff. Well, that's after I went out of jail and all that stuff. I did it for a long time. That's how I got into yeah. SEO and marketing, growth hacking. But yeah. I was party mode, man, from the age like 15 to like 22, man, like popping bottles in the club, spending four or $5,000 in the club, cocaine, drugs. I've had two ODs in my life. I've been shot, stabbed. Like, whoa, whoa. Hey, it's like you've been shot and stabbed? Yeah, I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. I have a stab wound right here. Did the bullet hit you? No. I've been shot at too, actually, believe it or not. Like, fuck, I was in a yeah, car. Yeah? I was in a car as a passenger, and the driver was pissing off this other guy, and he pulled out a pistol, and he shot at the car when he was exiting the ramp. Fuck. He didn't oh, hit fuck. anybody. Road rage. Holy fuck. Yeah, this was, this was like 10, 10, 15 years ago. This was 10, 15 years ago. This was a... No, it was, fuck. It was even more than that. It was, I think I was like 22 at the time. Yeah. Crazy. Long, long time ago, actually. But um, anyway, so, so back to your story with this... Um, you know, the juvie stuff, being in and out of jail, you know, being a hustler. At what point did you say, like, this, you know, this is bullshit? Like, like you're not in the tax system, right? Like, you're not paying taxes, you're hustling. Yeah, you're making bucks deluxe, but uh, everything's under the table. Like, at what point did you have to wake up from that and say, I can't, you know, I can't keep doing this. Like, this isn't a life. Honestly, I just got bored of it. And then, you know, when you go to jail, it's not like it reforms you. Like, jail, like, 
people people need don't get it twisted like jill actually makes you more cynical and more begrudging against the system what do you mean uh, what you go in there you just realize like how fucked the system is and like you're surrounded by idiots like what the fuck you know what i mean um and so for me it wasn't like jail reform me when i look back in hindsight it was honestly man i think it was just like a bored of it i just grew out of it I, somebody I'm, once told me that you know when they send you to jail you basically make more connections there you do but also what people don't understand if i wasn't self-sufficient i couldn't get a fucking job when i got out of jail right right so i had to be self so you had to invent something yeah and uh man oh, fuck for six months all i did was like i don't exaggerate when i tell this people i literally did like a thousand sit-ups a thousand push-ups a thousand pull-ups a day because you have eight fucking hours to waste really like eight hours sitting like it's 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 a cattle range it's called literally it's called a range so range abc um you go out if you're lucky one hour a day but i kind of scammed that or played the system i went out two hours i said i was native american or aboriginal and i did a smudge in the morning at 6 a.m mm -hmm. so two sessions to go out and uh yeah literally you're sitting on the range from like 7 a.m till i think lights out like 7 7 to 7 if mm -hmm. i remember and so you got eight hours of absolute nothingness what's up with the um the stuff you're doing with kettlebells man because when i first met you like yeah i mean you're not a small guy like you've always been really fit right like yeah 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 like you're strong i think you said you were the kettlebell champion 2013 i believe yeah how did you get into that because i mean that's been like a total pivot because i mean you've done kettlebells you've done businesses you yeah. got uh, clothing and apparel you've done bitcoin yeah yeah, yeah. um I don't know, man. I get like OCD when I find something I like. So I got addicted to it, got into good shape. I realized there's this weird Russian sport called Girvoy sport. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, fuck, let me go try to do this. And it was just like got, coming. You've you know? got early early videos on your channel where you're practically juggling kettlebells. Yeah. Well, I still do them. In the summertime, I'm outside fucking with them. They're one of the best, uh, let's say, like get into shape type of tools you can use. Portable, easy, fun. You know, yeah. for me, I, I get bored when I just do weights. Mm-hmm. Like, it was never really my shtick. So I did the semi-amateur um, semi MMA for a long time. I trained at uh, Randy Couture's gym, Extreme Couture, down in Tobico mm -hmm. in Toronto. And that was then. It was like Misha was there. Hominick was there. Um, Clifton Brown, four-time world Muay Thai champion. We had a really good fucking squad mm -hmm. of, of pros and teachers, like high, high fucking caliber. And I was ripped, man. I can show you pictures it's on my Facebook. I was walking yeah, like three percent body fat, just ripped to fucking shreds. But I was training like a fucking maniac. Like yeah. two sessions a day, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, and then taking a nap in between. So it was like four, four, four to six hours a day I would train. Did you ever fight like you know actual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I've had fun. yeah. Yeah, no, I don't have any pro pro fights, but uh, I would say un un unofficial fights a dozen. What did you use yeah. for you know standard discipline? Was it BJJ? Was it Muay Thai? Uh, my or? background is originally from Shotokan Karate. So mm -hmm. my mom put me in karate when I was young. So I did that for a very long time until I got my black belt here in Toronto. And then for my MMA, my two forms of, uh, let's say, martial arts that I love was boxing mm -hmm. and wrestling. Interesting. I yeah. want to talk to you about that a little bit. Uh, shout sure. out to uh, Donovan Sharp. Thanks for that, man. And uh, I see John in the, the chat as well. Um, I'm doing Krav Maga. I just started a I couple did it months for a year ago. Straight. What do you think great. of that? I yeah. love it. I, th I think Krav Maga for realist. So I, I did Toronto Krav Maga for a year. I, I like to take a new martial arts or new new something every year. Next year is archery. I'll be doing archery for one year straight. Mm -hmm. But uh, I did Krav Maga for a year. I think hands down for somebody who's looking for real, practical, tactical, applicable 
self-defense, it's hands down the best. It beats any martial arts. Really? Yeah, I've not done yeah. anything else, but um, I talked to a few people and they said, yeah, if you want to use it for self-defense, like if you want to fuck somebody up and really disable them, go and do Krav Maga. And I did a couple yeah. of like, um, you know, sessions and it's just, it's just so, it's just so powerful and quick and intense and so effective. Well, it's Israeli military hand-to-hand -hand combat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know? It's no joke. I mean, like even the instructor that's that's not using full power, you know, when you're when you're messing around with them. Like I've had my wrist, like my wrist has been out of commission for a few weeks now, right? Just just from horsing around with them, right, and trying to yeah. get out of chokeholds and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty powerful tool. So, like, let me talk to you about hand to hand combat for a minute, right? Because sure. you know, I talk to guys about competency skills and being able to demonstrate you know, the ability to accomplish these sorts of tasks and being able to defend yourself. And, you know, if you're with women, of course, you know, you want to be able to demonstrate that you're the strong masculine guy that, you know, she wants to be around. Like you got to be able to protect the chick. I mean, she yeah. wants to be able to rely on you for protection at the end of the day. Um, like, how did you get involved with it? Was it just out of necessity? Cause you got involved with these crowds? Oh no, it's genetically ingrained. I've probably been more than 200 street fights in my life. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. This is like, oh yeah. I was bullied because uh, first generation immigrant, uh, English second language, you know, and so I was considered a minority uh, mm -hmm. when I was in elementary school. So I was bullied when I was in elementary school. Still kind of in a shell, not mm -hmm. really accepting who I am. And some things just changed, man. When I got older, uh, into high school, so grade nine, I don't know. It was just psychologically speaking, I snapped. Did and, you uh, um, did you ever see Knock Around Guys? Did I, is that the movie? A movie, yeah. Uh, that's Vin Diesel? Yeah, there's a scene yeah. where he's in a bar, you know, where they yeah, land yeah, the yeah, private yeah. plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he's like 200 or 300, yeah. you know, whatever the number was. And he's like, yeah. what? He's like, yeah, that's the number of fights I've been. You know, I kind of like. Many, man, way too many. I can't even, like, le legitimately way, way too many fucking street fights. Interesting. How yeah. do you, how do you um, navigate that today? Like, do you try to avoid them? I don't even get the urge, man. Like, you don't even get the urge? Uh, if I see a situation, I walk away, man. I know what I'm capable of. I know I, I don't want to get back in that. Mm -hmm. It's not worth my time whatsoever, man. You look like the kind of guy that could seriously fuck somebody up, you know, without even trying. I don't joke around. Like, this isn't a game to me. Like, if I'm in a situation like like in Krama, first rule of Krama Gaia is if you can walk away or escape, escape. That's the first rule, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Do not engage. Second, engagement is only at a necessity, period. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, like for me, it's not a game. People joke around. I wouldn't even talk to you. I wouldn't say anything. I would just fucking put you down. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be, oh, this is a fair fight. There's no such thing as a fair fight. No. No, it's anything goes with Krav Maga for sure. Um, I want to go back to the, uh, you know, the stuff when you got out of jail and you started to, you know, create something for yourself because you weren't able to, because you weren't employable, you know, as you kind of put it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you were doing affiliate marketing. By mistake, I found my, saw my boy at the gym. I hadn't seen him for a while, and uh, he showed me this thing. And I wasn't privy or as aware of any of this online uh, online marketing stuff. Mm -hmm. They're just up and coming of the affiliate space, mm -hmm. like real saturation, like big swings. This is when ClickBank was just getting uh, like really. Was this the early, like mid two thousands or? Yeah, like let's see, like you know, I'm thirty three, thirty four, and so that was like around when I was twenty. So it's been a while, you know. What do you think uh, of affiliate marketing today for guys that are thinking about getting into it? Fuck, man. It's completely different. 
like back in the day we were spinning web 2.0 properties on youtube and doing summits so like we we were able to collect 100,000 email lists in 30 days by creating these virtual summits which is a skype interviews mm -hmm. and so basically like let's say we had like a men's summit back in the day for helping men like empowering of men we would mm -hmm. get like richard and Nier and all these other people we would have like usually two three partners each of us would throw 10k so 30k to kind of facilitate the financial capital to do this we would make a JV split with the so-called host to interview all these people. We would interview all these people, but part of the deal, these people have to email their list as well. So these like semi-influencers, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, anybody with maybe at least an email list, our criteria was at least back then, 2,500 people on your email list. Everyone emailed them throughout the month, like, hey, we got these interviews, yada, yada, yada. We would collect the emails in one database. Obviously, we share that database afterwards with consent. And then basically we would then package the pre-recorded videos with any other like uh, deals that we can make, uh, get. So we would ask, does Richard have any uh, like eBooks or programs or courses they want to add in there? So we make this really big package and then we sell it to the email list we just captured in the 30 days and we just rinse and repeated that, but you can't do that today. So, so that, so that kind of brings me to like other spaces that are kind of tied into affiliate. Cause, because one of the things that's popular today, I'm going to bounce all over the place. I think you're okay with this. Cause you're like me, you know, with the ADD sort of thing, but I mean, yeah, you know, the whole Shopify, Amazon, um, FBA situation, a lot of guys are trying to move physical products. I had this one guy that I talked to about a year ago and he, like he was trying to sell me his business towards the end of the coaching call. The guy books me for a coaching <laughs> call on clarity because, because he's selling men's jewelry. Yeah, but he hated selling men's jewelry and it had some revenue. And he's like, you know, do you want to buy the business sort of thing? And I'm like, dude, you don't even fucking like the business. Why would I want to buy it sort of thing? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that are that are moving in and out of like Shopify type store setups through Facebook and Amazon FBA. When you're, I saw you talk to um, Dan about this. I didn't catch the whole episode on your podcast, yeah. but he was yeah. talking about FBA with uh, his clothing line. Right. So what do you think about that today? Um. No, this is, you know, I, I know Dan's business, so people are wondering, that's uh, Dan Demsky. He runs Unbound Monero, so uh, specialized clothes. So Monero. Unde Unbound Merino. Merino, yeah, not Monero. Monero that's Monero's the crypto, bro. <laughs> I should make a brand against them, the same brand. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan, I'm coming for you. We're coming for um, you, Danny boy. And so, yeah, he, he specifically doesn't do Amazon. Now, the reason why he doesn't do Amazon is justified. There's pros and cons. So if you're using FBA, so FBA is fulfilled by Amazon. So that's like Amazon Prime stuff where they do all the shipping, which is kind of the same thing with Shopify. Like you do Shopify partners, like Shipwire would be a Shopify partner. You're not doing your own fulfillment. So you do Shipwire has all those locations around the world. Mm -hmm. And so you use FBA. Um, the two downsides of Amazon is number one, you really do not own your customer data. There are sneaky ways for you to get it, but it's really difficult and annoying. Mm -hmm. And uh, number two, you don't control the user experience of your brand on Amazon. Uh, what do you mean by that when you say the user experience, just to just create some clarity for people that are kind of fresh to that? Yeah, so at any given time, Amazon can delist your certain rankings. They can put your spot all the way down. There's certain types of images you're, you are allowed and not allowed to use. There's certain texts you are allowed and not allowed to use. Uh, pretty much you have to follow their guidelines, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to if I own a Shopify store, I can use any image I want, any text that I want. It's my fucking store. I can do whatever I want. However, the thing with Amazon is, you know, you have eyeballs there. You have distribution there. You have probably the third biggest search, maybe, well, I would say the fourth. It would go Google, YouTube, uh, image search, then Amazon. Probably the fourth biggest search engine on the planet right now is Amazon, and people are are 
they're intense searching for something to buy. So you are missing out on that fact. It's a double-edged sword. But the crazy thing, though, too, is like whether it's Shopify or Amazon for e-commerce, where we're heading in the future, it's all commodity. Like you think your products are special? <laughs> yeah, right. There's a million other people with an identical product. I'll just go rip your product off. What matters the most in any e-commerce uh, is the brand. If you're not building a brand, which uh, Dembski was wise in doing, if you're not building a brand that has a moat and builds trust and loyalty and an emotional connection to your audience, your e-commerce store won't go, or your e-commerce brand won't go anywhere. Like you have to double down on the brand. That's the only fucking thing you can protect. Amazon already started stealing brands. I told Dan my story where I wanted to order the Canon DSLR case because mm -hmm. my old one broke. Mm -hmm. and I wasn't really paying attention. And next thing I know, uh, I open up this case in my house. It's fucking Amazon Basics. So it's not it's not branded with the camera. It's just it's just their own. But I wasn't brand. paying attention, right? But it's also like much cheaper than Canon. I think I only paid like thirty bucks, and the Canon bag sixty dollars. So it's double cheaper. Same right. factory. I guarantee it. Okay. Okay. So so what they're doing is they're basically um, their algorithms are probably picking up on profitable products that sell well with good reviews and oh, then they just rip yeah. off and duplicate them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100 And then it's not just Canon, they do a bunch of different products. Any any So product Amazon's basically taking a fucking uh like um playbook out of the fucking Chinese. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Listen, e-commerce is not what it used to be. You have to do brand building end of story. It's mm -hmm. all about brand. You did that once with your um silver-lined underwear company. What did you call that thing again? Reparo. Reparo. That's right. I remember yeah. you did this commercial. Um, I saw it on Facebook a number of years ago where you were playing pool with balls and you were talking about protecting your balls with yeah, the silver yeah, lining. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was your experience with that like? You know, when it came to building up uh, a, a garment was, company, right? It was a really good experience from the e-commerce perspective. Gave me good insight. I'll never do fashion or clothing. I got fucking disdain that industry. Why? So complicated. It gets into the like it gets into like superficial, like I'm not a fashion guy. Like I don't give a flying fuck, you know, don't get me wrong. I got custom suits. I like a nice suit, mm -hmm. but when it comes to like the everyday fashion stuff, but that's my brother, my brother was my business partner and we had another silent partner. Um, and so I learned about it. I learned the whole ropes of e-commerce. I learned China very well. You know, we spent a lot of, actually majority of our customers all China was North America. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, I, I wouldn't do clothing ever again. It's too many skews, too many headaches, too many problems with logistics. Uh, you get stuck with stock for the next seasons because the seasonal thing is like, it's so many fucking easier e-commerce businesses you can do than fucking clothing. Mm. What'd you end up doing with that company? I sold my shares to my partners. Mm. Um, before we go to crypto and um, psychedelics and stuff like that, because I want to spend a lot of time on that. What else did you do before all that? Because you had kettlebells, you had the clothing company, you were doing affiliate marketing. I did a bunch of JV deals. So I helped a lot of people on the back end to grow their online businesses. So a bunch of do different some consulting. I remember you and I talked yeah. at one point. Yeah. But I, I did consulting in a different way. So I didn't take too much upfront cap, uh, upfront costs. So basically my deal was depending on the margins you have for the product. Usually these are physical products. So I would say 90% of it was like, let's say within the supplement realm. Mm. Um, so basically the deal was, okay, what's the profit margins you have on these products? Obviously that has to make sense mathematically. And the deal would be, listen, uh, I usually charge that. I won't charge. I'm charging based on performance. So it's a win-win. It's a win for you. It's a win for me. If I can get you to X revenue, just on online sales, nothing to do with offline or store sales, but physically, uh, uh, it, 
on on the online on the online store based on these funnels based on these metrics if i can hit this milestone of abc this is the revenue share that i want so i made money on the back end mm. didn't you also put out a book on self-care yeah uh, oh yeah workouts or diet a, or something like that i had a tv show too on rogers tv what did you do on that show it was called shape up with the mirror kettlebell show okay. and they ran it for four seasons really <laughs> yeah i forgot about that shit. wow wow yeah why did that wind down? Is it just not profitable? It's a waste of time. I was doing it for free. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like local like, fuck. TV, yeah. fucking Rogers TV. I was doing it for free. I'm like, you motherfuckers making money off of me running ads on there. What the fuck do I get out of this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like shit. I did. I did two two sessions in my debt business with Roger TV back in like 2007 and eight. It was just like, it was just such a waste of time. Yeah, I yeah, get it. I don't I, I even know if cable TV is alive anymore. Like, I have no idea. Yeah, it's dying. We were um, we were talking on your show about how you're kind of like naturally red pilled when it comes to understanding the dynamics between men and women. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the one of the sound bites that I dropped on you because I kind of wanted to test you a little bit to see how you how how you would kind of respond to. It. I said, "Happy wife, happy life," and you said, "F that, it's happy me first. Yeah. Where did you get that mindset from? Uh, I've always been that way but not in the most respectful format, let me say. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a big connoisseur of mythology. Like, what do you mean you know, mythology? Both, like Greek mythology or? All mythology, the mythology of Homo sapiens. So mm -hmm. whether it's the works of Krishnamurti or Bhagavad Gita or Joseph Campbell uh, or the Upanishads or you know people modern day like Alan Watts fans. If you look at mythology and you look at the source message and religion has this too. If you really dissect the bullshit in front of religion and get to the inner teachings of religion is one needs to love themselves. That's it. At the end of the day, like respect yourself, not in a greedy egotistical way, like, Oh, fuck you. I'm better than you. No, 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 no. Is respect the temple, which is you, the temple, which is a physical temple, a mental temple and a spiritual temple. Because, you know, there's that saying uh, from Rumi, one of my favorite Persian poets and philosophers. Yesterday, I was clever. I want to change the world. You can't change anybody. Substitute world for person. You mm -hmm. can never change the world of person. Then he says, today I'm wiser. I'm going to change myself. Because that's the one fucking thing you can change. I can control how I think. I can control if I go to the gym. I can control what food I eat. I can control the words that come out of my mouth. I can control the pen in my hand to write something down. These are things that are in my control. Everything else, all this shit with politics, all this shit with like the weather, everything, I cannot control that, nor should it feel real estate in my mind because my mind should just be focusing on myself. So once I focus myself and I love myself, everything else is secondary. Everything else is easier. You are then the best personification of yourself in this reality uh, to interact with people. Mm. That's how I view it. Where did you... Um... Where do you get pushback from people when it comes to these types of conversations with putting yourself first? Like, do you ever get called selfish or you're a prick or you're an asshole or anything like that? Maybe do I do. Just, it probably just goes one year out the other. I don't register it. I don't fucking know. I'm pretty do, blunt with my with what I think, so I don't know. Do you ever get pushback from people? I don't know, man. Not really, tell you the truth. I don't. People don't really go head on against me. No? No. I don't know. It's weird. What do you get? What do you get challenged on the most by your wife? Let me ask you that question. You kind of put it that way. What does she like mm. push into you for? You know the most. 
I don't know. My wife is smart. Like she understands evolutionary biology, psychology. She's a doctor, so she's you know smart cookie in that aspect. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I hit you know at least I I think I hit the jackpot. Like she understands the male you know male male energy, female energy, the roles, everything. Like in the Yang, there's no. She's not into this feminist bullshit. She's like, she's like, fuck that shit. What do you um, think of uh, feminism? I think originally it served a good purpose, like the first second wave. Mm-hmm. Like even going back when they didn't have voting rights and like, you know, everyone, when they say there's no equality, there's fucking equality right now. I don't know what the hell people are talking about. Like if you're in North America, the law applies all. Now, within the courts, it's a different story. It depends on like, for example, we talked about family law. You know, the man gets fucked in that situation. However, in most cases, if you look at today's legal laws on the federal level, uh, when it comes to opportunities, women have the same opportunity as men. Um, so I don't see an issue in that. Um, I think, you know, the saying a rebel without the cause, mm-hmm. I really believe that's what it is. And it's funny when they say they want to fight the patriarchy, patriarchy, when they're in fact becoming the patriarchy. Like if you look at female is a divine feminine energy. It's, if you look at mother Gaia, or if you, if you study mythology, it's, it needs to be nurturing. It needs to be kind. You need to have empathy. This is why women are geared towards communism and socialism and UBI. They have that nurturing, loving relate. This is why they're better with kids than men. You know, we're strict, we're more stern. You know, we have the masculine, strong, divine energy. They have that feminine, I'm going to say soft, but still strong, but the feminine, caring, nurture, and they need each other. Like literally we need each other. It's not, I'm better than you, you're better than me. No, we coexist together. This is the fucking very nature of tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's a supremacist movement? Or do you think it's leaning into that? Yeah, like I think 99% of the people in that movement don't even know how to think for themselves. So I'm, you know, I'm a firm believer uh, in Renia Girard's mimetic theories. Uh, highly recommend everybody reads about that. In a nutshell, it's monkey see, monkey do, hive mind, mm-hmm. right? So one person's intelligence. So you can take the most craziest individual uh, in the world and sit down with that person. And for the most part, you can find some commonalities with those two people. You can at least have a semi-civilized conversation. You can take that same individual and throw them on the streets with like-minded like-minded people like them. They don't think for themselves. They're part of that hive mind. Mm-hmm. I always tell my wife, as soon as I see a crowd, I leave. I'll tell you the story in Toronto, the Toronto, real story right now. Mm-hmm. Toronto Raptors won. We had that crazy parade, the most human beings in Toronto ever, right? I don't mm-hmm. know what the fuck, it's like a million people. Uh, I had to go to a fucking business meeting. I left. I'm on my phone with my wife. And she's like, oh, I wish I was there. I'm like, I'm fucking leaving this second. Trust me, shit's about to go down. Literally, the same mm-hmm. fucking spot that I was fucking standing in telling her that 20 minutes people were getting shot at. Mm-hmm. Groups mm-hmm. are idiots. Like, groups are dumb. Stay away from groups. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, could, we can talk about... Uh about society a bit too what do you think of the state of men today you know and masculinity and their place in society like i think people will say uh, and remember you can't paint the same brush around the world you, you mm-hmm. know the issues that we have in north america are let's talk about north america yeah yeah so i think we're in a good place you know if you see all the people if you see if you see the movement i think there's a yearning and 
no one's saying go back to the old ways. No, no, no. This is this is why I bring up mythology. Like mythology is about taking the very nature of humans uh, of Homo sapiens and updating them to the current status. This is why religion doesn't work. Uh, religion is 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 still on this old software of two thousand years ago. It hasn't updated its fucking software to represent twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at the software of human beings of Homo sapiens. Uh, and if we update it for 2020, I think this is just a part of that. You know, there's a Buddhist saying, you know, it is as it should be. You know, if we look back in hindsight in the future, this is this was part of the necessary process to get where we are. And so it's about evolving the man. It's not going back to tradition. It's not going back to like, oh, well, this is how it should be. No, it's like, you know, I think back in the day, uh, even when I was growing up, you know, I never seen my father cry and you know, listening to like certain rappers and the stuff that I was exposed, I was like, I should never cry. I should never tell my emotions to people. I should never like heal myself. That was considered being a pussy. That was considered being weak. It's like, no, no, fuck your emotions. Like bottle your emotions. Are you crazy? We know for a fact, if you bottle your emotions, if you don't care, take care of your PTSD, which I know I fucking have it. If you don't take care of a bunch of your traumas, that shit's going to eat you up psychologically, mentally, and physically. Right? So how, I think. For, how did you get PTSD? I just, uh, from like, I, I a lot of it's through osmosis of how my dad treated my mom through the shit that when I was younger, just like, and, uh, yeah. So it's like just my childhood experience, um, coupled with, I think, lack of loving myself. Yeah. Uh, so, so let me just kind of reframe it a little bit yeah. because, um, I do a show on Monday nights with a clinical psychologist. His name's, uh, Sean T. Smith. By the way, book recommendation for you. If you haven't read this book, Amir, I think you'd like it. It's called Tactical Guide to Women. Cool. Sean wrote it. Um, but um, I was actually talking to him personally about my own experience tied into, I didn't call it PTSD at the time, but I was like going through these symptoms of can't sleep at night, recurring nightmares, uh, couldn't couldn't visit you know certain places because they would create you know recurring no trigger. memories and triggers and, and stuff yeah. like that and he was explaining to me like it, it's 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 all basically symptoms of PTSD but different from the way that a a soldier will get from uh shell shock you know for example but um it's essentially when your safe world theory collapses like mm-hmm. like you create this belief around an idea that you completely subscribe to and you build your entire life around it mm-hmm. and then it collapses on itself and then you end up with what are essentially the symptoms of PTSD. It's one of the many reasons why a lot of guys that I uh, talk to or if I'm coaching, you know, if they're going through the divorce process, um, you know, they subscribe to something like happy wife, happy life. You yeah. know, I just did everything she said. I bought the house she wanted. I moved to the city she wanted to. I, you know, I renovated the bathroom the way that she did, but she was still fucking Kevin from sales, right? Yeah. How could this yeah. happen to me? You know, I was a good guy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, they have to go through this unfucking of their lives because they because they have that safe world theory that collapses on itself and they essentially end up with all the symptoms of PTSD. So, like, it's interesting. Like, I'm learning more and more about how different people, you know, suffer with this. And it's interesting because, I mean, we talked at the end of our podcast that we did on your show about mushrooms. And yeah. I know there's a lot of research around how that is... How they're how they're starting to find ways to apply psilocybin to people suffering with PTSD. Um, you're pretty open about um, psilocybin and your use of uh, psychedelics. I'm open about all psychedelics. I'm super bullish. Like that's the next industry I'm going balls deep in. Yeah. So so what's your experience been with 
using psychedelics to heal yourself or to optimize yourself? Good question. Um, I think it's really important that a couple of things we need to take into consideration. Number one, that we're still very early when it comes to research. Mm. We need a lot of more research. It's we're blessed to have amazing organizations like MAPS that are leading, you know, stage three clinical trials. I think within 18 months, we'll see both in Canada and the United States licensed uh, MDMA facilities. You think and, so? And I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least in California and then Canada will follow. I think Canada will be the first country in the world to fully decriminalize uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Vancouver mayor or, already went publicly and stated that uh, it's not in their priority to arrest anybody with shrooms. They don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's technically illegal, but they're not enforcing it. And uh, it, it's, it's really important for people to understand it's not the simple act of using psychedelics and it's not a panacea whatsoever it's scary and it's not recommended for everybody you know if you're on ssris if you're on benzos if you're on certain let's say blood pressure or or blood thinners like there are conflicting drugs that you need to be aware that might conflict you might have a psychotic episode if you're doing like five grams of mushrooms or doing some dmt um so that's i do I, d I do stress warning and I always recommend people if they're looking for a practitioner, go to maps.org or maps.ca and they have a, a registry and they can help you out. Number two, that's really important is the integration and the follow through. So it's not simply you taking MDMA, which for me has been the best when it comes to PTSD. It's not simply taking MDMA or psilocybin and be like, ah, you know what I mean? There's a process of integration. So there's new forms of therapy. Um, I wouldn't say new forms, but forms more geared towards psychedelic therapy, like ABC is a form, family integrative practices, another form. Uh, but it's it's about the integration process. You know, it's like who you're working with. I, I do recommend like at least at the beginning, if people are serious, if if they've been medically diagnosed with PTSD or some form of trauma, you know, the psilocybin has been shown clinically to work very well with PTSD, same with MDMA, has been shown to really work well with anxiety and fear. So they've done great studies when it comes to people on death row, not death row, on hospice care. Mm -hmm. So people who are maybe a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months left, primarily cancer, and they just can't accept the fate that they're in. And they've given them psilocybin treatments and they come to peace. They actually have, some of them in quotation state, they've had like a godlike experience through psilocybin. And they're, they've They've come to they've come to acknowledge their situation there and they're ready to go. It's it's actually a remarkable way. Like instead of being stressed and have anxiety I'm about to die, they're like, I'm ready. I get it. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, they've had great success with MDMA and psilocybin for people who suffer deep trauma. So let's say women that have been raped or men that have been abused as a child, you name it. Like majority of the majority of our characteristics that we have today, how we behave. Uh, is based on traumas and traumas isn't like a good or bad thing. It's not like you label this trauma good or bad. It is just a mask that our internal psyche had to create because we went through something as a child. And so psychedelics in my mind, I think are going to be one of the most fucking beneficial medicines. And I don't like to label as a drug medicines in the, on the planet uh, that we can administer. And the crazy thing about psychedelics, MDMA is not a psychedelic by the way, it's a synthetic molecule. Um, derived from an organic compound it's from the sassafan tree and it's primarily in iran um you look at psilocybin or you look at mushrooms there's no ld50 so people listening to this or watching this ld50 is lethal dose 50. so uh, a, a dose that takes a dose needed to at least get 50 percent of the population to od uh, lsd psilocybin 
there's pretty much no LD50. So you can't really overdose on that. Uh, MDMA is like four grams as your, your brain will frazzle before you even take that amount. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one that has a risk, and this is why they have medical practitioner, but this is copious amounts would be Iboga. So Ibogaine. Um, ayahuasca, there's not known. Even weed has technically, theoretically, like an LD50, but I think they said you have to smoke like 20,000 pounds of weed to, <laughs> to technically kill yourself. But the whole the whole thing with the, the, the psychedelics is, I think it's this is going to help I think as a whole, this is going to help civilization. I think we're going to really be entering a new stage of medicine to fucking help the psyche, the, the, the mental trauma that we've all suffered. How do you use it personally? And what do you use it for? So I haven't done a big, da- I call them da- downloads. I haven't done a big download in a while. Uh, lately, I've been doing a little bit. When you say downloads, you mean like a, like a um, heroic dose? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the last big download I did was a mixture of MDMA and psilocybin. So it was total uh, 150 milligrams of MDMA spaced out by three times, so 50, 50, 50. And then I did two grams of mushrooms, cubensis, uh, dried powder in capsules spaced out as well. So I took mm-hmm. all, of, all of those two within an hour and a half period of time. It's a good melody, at least for me. Basically, I would have my phone on as a tape recorder when I have insight. I can't do this inside. I have to be in nature, so I'd be in my cottage. Like, at least for me, I would recommend nature. Mm-hmm. I would have a pen and paper as well. Oh, shit, I don't have it here. I have something called a mindfold mask. So it's a mask that's 3D, so you can keep your eyes open, and it's pitch black. It's quite cool. I have mm-hmm. amazing music, and at least I have some questions that I, that I personally ask myself when I'm downloading and going through the experience. Okay, so you do it, like, with an intention. Like, do you set the intention oh, yeah. before you start? Oh yeah, and is it guided? Like, do you have somebody with you? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the 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 golden rule is set and setting. Set and setting is the most important thing. Mm. Do you ever uh, microdose on a regular basis? No, not really. Um, I've experimented with microdosing of everything. So mm. for me, boga was the most beneficial. I've done mm. I've done psilocybin. I've done LSD. Uh, but yeah, Iboga for me was the most beneficial. Yeah, mm. I got a, a question here. I'm going to throw up on the screen, so it's easier to read. It just says, uh, Amir, what's your thoughts on futurism embracing technology and the emergence of automation and integration of the machines occupying and dominating modern humanity? This is kind of like a Noah Yuval Harari sort of question with uh, yeah. Homo Deus. Um, when we hear about automation today, I think we're jumping the gun. I don't think so. I don't think so. We're even remotely close where people presume we're heading. Even with self-driving cars, we're minimum, minimum a decade away from semi-self-driving cars on some highways in some parts of the world. When it comes to trucks, we're far, far away from fully self-automated trucks. Uh, so this scare of fully automation within the next five, ten years, I don't. I haven't seen the data. Now, fast forward past that, yes, you know we're going to have fully automated uh, industries being disrupted. Um, for me, though, is like it gives opportunity, right? When you have new types of innovation and new types of business models, you have also new opportunities. You know, we can't kind of for, we can't foresee the opportunities. We couldn't foresee business models on the internet. Uh, for example, in the crypto space, I am. I couldn't foresee. We couldn't foresee these ICO craze that happened. Uh, so there's a lot of unknowns that we don't know about. Um, and so I'm not too really worried. I'm, I'm a, I'm an optimist. I think we're actually, if you look at like, if you look at Steven Pinker's statistics, you know, um, you can clearly see that as a general whole, 
society is living better, living longer, you know, through even, I'm not the biggest fan of China, but through their semi-dictatorship like capitalism, over 100 million Chinese have left poverty and going up to middle class. India is also the fastest growing middle class uh, demographics in the world as well. So in a whole, humans are living better. I, you know, I would never want to get in a time machine and go back 50 years. Like I never want to go through World War II, World War One, or even live, I, like we are, technology is making life better. I think the biggest problem, if I had to think about it, hopefully we don't kill ourselves in a hundred years because that's actually a big threat and also uh, of, of viruses and bugs and we just don't have enough babies. We actually need more babies. It's a serious threat. It's like no laughing matter. Uh, our birth rates are really low. And it's, if we have a huge fertility problem, we're the biggest issue, I think, from a psychological aspect for humans would be existential crisis or what I do with my time. Why do you why do you think we have a um, repopulation issues with birth rates? Well, birth rates, there's multiple. I mean, they're low. Yeah. Multiple different reasons. One, the fact that biology if you look at biology, like a woman's most fertile between like the age of 19 to 24. Yeah. Like that's bio biology. And this is why, like, even if you survey men from the age of like 20 to like 60, they all say mid twenties. There's but a societal why. conditioning and feminism tells women to put off having babies and get a degree and have a career first. And then they yeah, all listen, try to have babies at 39. It, it's difficult too, man. Like baby, depending on where you live, like Toronto to have a kid when you're twenties and say your husband's 25 as well. Good fucking luck. It's well, it's next to impossible. Next to impossible. So it's, you know, this is why also in China for, think about this, China for a nation of a billion plus people, birth rate last year is only 18 million because of the up and coming middle class. Because mm -hmm. they're like, why the fuck do I need five kids? I have a career, I'm driven. Mm -hmm. I see how much it costs to have one child. I'm not having fucking three kids. So what do you think is going to happen in like 50 years if the birth rate stays as slow? Um, well, you got to ask yourself, if the birth rate stays low, what does that mean? There's a couple of issues at hand. There's a lot of One, people that argue that the earth is already overpopulated. Like I've like I've seen some media pieces yeah. lately where the, there's That's these bloggers. Bullshit, man. Oh, yeah. There's these bloggers and these, these media pieces where they're saying, stop having babies, get a vasectomy. You know, women are getting, uh, what do they uh, call it when they uh, sterilize themselves? Uh, tubal ligation or whatever. You yeah. Know, young, younger ages. Uh, like there's a lot of nonsense going on out there, you know, people are saying just like basically kill yourself and don't have children because the planet is overpopulated. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all bullshit, man. That's not the death. If you look at the data, the data is completely opposite, man. Like you, you asked the question, what would happen? Okay. We'll talk about a couple of things. Number one, if we look at modern society today, at least for the most so-called democratic countries, and we'll throw in Russian there as well, democratic. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, we look at uh, people who retire. They rely on old age pension from the government. So in Canada, CCP, the United States, is Social Security. The only way the Social Security is paid for or old age pension is by young working class people. You mm -hmm. need a young workforce to pay for the future because you have to tax them. If you don't have a young workforce to tax from, you cannot support the older generation. So this is an actual big, I'll send you a link afterwards. There's a really good statistician that goes into the demographics of young working people from the age of 19 till 28. Like it's low. It's not mm -hmm. really it's a bad sign. Um, that's one thing. We need young people to support old people for the future. 
regardless of even if it's taxes, just for like labor support, you know, physical support, you need a working class demographics to support older people. If we have low birth rates, we don't have that working class demographics. Mm. Number two on the high level of risks for human civilization is super viruses or super bugs. This can be genetically modified, not in a nefarious way, like, ooh, Dr. Evil, I'm going to create something. But it can be a mutated, uh, you know, retrovirus uh, through maybe the overabundance of antibiotics and vaccines that we use. That's one possibility. It can be another possibility. I looked at some numbers where it can be from a permafrost in Siberia, where because it's heating a bit, certain bacteria or viruses are released. They get activated. They're airborne. Boom. It goes through. And it's very, very difficult to control a contagion. You know, early estimates say that it's not if, it's when we have the next so-called super bug or super virus. And the early statistics look at, at base bone minimum. So conservative estimates would be 500 million people dead at a couple of trillion dollars cost to human civilization. So this is a big threat. So imagine all, you know, we're at 6 billion. Imagine a billion humans die tomorrow. That's entirely feasible. It's happened a number of times throughout history where we had yeah, a, so, a purge, you know, like a reset. Yeah. You know, whether and it's remember, something like something have, hitting the earth, an ice age, we whatever, have, right? We didn't have planes or cars. Yeah. <laughs> so well, the contag contagion can spread. Yeah. If you're talking about viruses, it's a lot easier for it to move around right now. Yeah. It's planet. all fucking airborne. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like you were talking about, we need labor, we need workers, we need people to create and manufacture things. But at the same time, we're also leaning into a period of automation and AI and algorithms where, um, you know, like I'm starting to look at this concept of UBI now where it's like there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be employable because they're too stupid to do anything useful. So they're I'm thinking at some point they're going to they're going to have to figure out a way to tax businesses like Apple and, and 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 Amazon and not give them these carve out exceptions so that they can facilitate paying, you know, the masses to, I don't know, fucking draw or do whatever it is that they need to pursue on a basic income level. Um, I don't really, I don't really know that I subscribe to the notion that we're really going to need that much in the way of labor in the future. Like, I don't know that we need humans for labor, right? I'm not, like I said, I'm not sold. I don't see the data for automation yet. It's, it's when it gets here, like Peter Thiel talks about this too. When it gets here, if there is a problem, then we should, we should, we have the solutions already planned out. If you do the solutions too early, you're going to actually make the problem worse. But I mean, we've already got the technology in place. Like, um, uh, Noah Yuval Harari was talking about in his book about algorithms. Like even like even today, the technology exists where you can have a board certified surgeon that's got twenty years experience in diagnosing lung cancer, and put him up against a computer algorithm that is going to more accurately diagnose a, a lung cancer predicament versus yeah. This but that doesn't surgeon. put out doctors. So, for example, my wife's a doctor, my mom's a nurse. I have yeah. a lot of friends in the medical community. Um, you know, I, I'm. I but that's a higher level skill, though. It's not like, you know, screwing no, on toothpaste this is problem, caps. Like, like, this is a much of, higher level skill, too. None of those people. One, all of them actually are happy and they await for, and it's not AI. So people think about AI. We're not even close to AI. We're, it's all machine learning. So machine learning is pattern recognition. It's a heuristics. Like, mm -hmm. recognize pattern one, filter it, go to the next filter. Yeah, and they have different yeah. kind of logic when it comes to filters, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, whether you're, like, the mo as a physical job, a radiologist would be somebody who would, as from a human perspective, view test results the most, right? Mm. 
Uh, and they've done recent studies where like radiologists roughly is maybe like in the 70 to 80% accuracy rate. And we're human, man. We might be tired. We might be sick. You know, we might be overload, mental bandwidth. We make mistakes. Okay. Obviously, a machine learning pattern would be better. However, that doesn't eliminate the human being. Especially medicine actually is an aid to medicine. The number one thing in medicine is integration. So it's one thing and it's good because like I see my wife firsthand. It's not her job to fucking analyze numbers. I want a computer to fucking analyze the numbers. I want a computer to tell me the patterns. Your job as any doctor, whether it's a surgeon, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a doctor, ND, MD, whatever, your job is to mentally, emotionally, and physically work with the patient to integrate this information. Because Richard, you know, you and I know you we you you and I know that for a fact that if we build uh, the, if we guarantee that this business plan here will get you a million dollar business, maybe one out of a hundred human beings will do it by themselves. Mm-hmm. That's how humans are. We need to be babysitted. People need to be, people need that interaction. And so I think it actually helps the healthcare system. Uh, it helps doctors. I see it firsthand, man. Doctors, they spend unpaid hours, especially private healthcare. They spend unpaid hours looking through fucking numbers. And of course they're going to make errors, but it's better for them to have a computer where they just click a button and it's like 90% accuracy. Like, okay, this is based on all this data. This is the pattern. This yeah, is there's kind no of doubt that's more effective. Yeah, man. Um, so what are you doing these days with uh, crypto? Because you created uh, Block Geeks. You were very, very enthusiastic from the very early days. Yes. I can't remember yes. when we had lunch there at uh, the Don Mills st- uh, shops. I was driving my M3 at the time, the white car. So it must have been yes, like nice car. 2013, was it? 2013, yeah. 2014? It was early, man. Like, yeah, yeah. You're like, I'm going all in on this crypto thing. And I'm like, what? What are you going to do? I'm like, are you crazy, man? You're like, no, man, watch watch this. And you're like, give me all the reasons why. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know that I buy it. And it was right around the same time that I had, um, you know, my run in with the government and the big, you know, financial institutions with the debt business, because we put this little dent in their universe, saving people money. And they literally went to the extent of changing the legislation in parliament to reorganize the way we had to do things with the intent of putting us out of business. Oh, I remember, man. They're, they're trying remember to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're talking around that time. I'm like, I can see the banks and the government doing the same thing with cryptocurrency. Now, that was like four or five years ago, about five years ago now, right? You're still doing it. I mean, like, you're yeah. kind of leaning into this podcast realm, which I want to talk about, you know, more towards the end, but we've been on for about an hour. So I definitely want to hit on cryptocurrency. How have you seen it change over the last five years? It's changed a lot, you know. We've uh, it's still, I still have a mind fuck of where we are, even for all the bullshit there is. Is like I remember when there was Bitcoin, mm-hmm. like just Bitcoin, which is what Bitcoin, you were talking about. And I about went to meetup groups beginning. in Toronto, which we we're blessed to have one of the original meetup groups and conferences in the world, and one of the core developers here in Toronto is probably the top three cities in the world for blockchain and crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, and reason why like uh, i had the opportunity to enter so early it's just we have the community here proximity um it's a mind fuck for me when i look now i'm like holy fuck look where we are mm-hmm. like we have all these different platforms you know two three hundred billion dollar market cap bloomberg has a bitcoin ticker on there you know governments are talking about this it's like i think we've got we've we've done a lot in a very short period of time now where we're going i think we're still very early you know i just had a uh, at a panel earlier for investors within the space i think we still need another three to four years to evolve because where we are right now it's like 96 97 within the internet if you want to kind of do a comparison it's kind of hard because they're building internet we already have the internet so it's kind of hard to compare but 
what we're still building is protocol level. So it's like the same thing if like Richard and Amir were building like IPv2, IPv3, or if we're building HTTPS or the actual rails of the internet. So that's the stage we're still at currently. Once we're done talking about <clears throat> the foundation, the blockchain foundation, then we can actually start building the consumer level grade applications for people. And there's already some early ones, like there's a world of decentralized finance, which is uh, pretty popular in Latin America. And I'll give you a nutshell how it works. So there's a, a stable currency called DAI in a decentralized smart contract. I'm not gonna get into technicality, but consider it as an open source stable currency. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest problem in Latin America is A, they have an inflation. So if you have a dollar today of any peso, whether it's the Boulevard or peso or Mexican pesa, if you have one dollar today, it might be 65 cents tomorrow. Most loans in Latin America start at 20%. It's really hard to get a loan. Now imagine if you're a freelance contractor in any of the Latin American companies, you and then you're getting paid by crypto. Let's say I'm a developer in Latin America or I'm a marketer in Latin America and my salary is $1,000 a month, obviously USD. I don't want to take my local currency. I don't want DAI. So a company can pay me DAI 1,000 stable. I can then literally take 10% of that DAI and I can uh, I can then put it out for interest within other of these DeFi platforms. I can earn 10% on that money I lent out. I can take that DAI and put it into some kind of other crypto staking, earn 6%. I can take that DAI and go to my peer. I, I can go take that DAI and take out um, uh, American Greenback into in peer-to-peer -peer, uh, kiosks they have down there. So what's happening here is they're bypassing their bank, bypassing their government, and How having- you spell DAI? Like what's the cryptocurrency? AI. It's just a stable coin. It's just it's okay. one dollar. It's just that's it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to cut so you off. So this is like one use case where it's like they need they need a stable peer to peer crypto down there to bypass the bullshit that they're going through. But beyond that, we've created platforms where they can lend out Dai and earn interest on. They've never had the option before. Like if I was in Venezuela, I couldn't join any American or Canadian financial product. Uh, even though you wouldn't want to, it's like 2% or now you don't even get 2% in the bank, mm -hmm. like 1%. But now with DAI instant on my fucking phone, I can lend out a hundred bucks and earn 10%. Like they've never had that. It's, it's actually a remarkable innovation. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. It's 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 listed here on CoinMarketCap. It's uh, multi-collateral DAI. Is that, yes. is that what it is? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And it operates on the Ethereum platform. Correct. Interesting. Um, Okay, so this is one application that we, like as it stands right now. If I scroll up to the top, it says that they're holy shit. I don't go to Coin Market Cap that, that much, you know, lately. But it's there's cryptocurrencies listed at four thousand eight hundred and seventy one. Yeah, that's retarded. There was like twenty three hundred, and I thought that was retarded at the time. It's going to. It's actually doubled. Yeah, man. So, like, what is the point in having five thousand, you know, close to five thousand different cryptocurrencies if you ask me there's no point i think they're all one big experiment 99 99.99 of them fail but you know it's people trying to experiment some people trying to scam some people trying to build innovation it's uh, you know i ask anybody in the crypto space i've never seen an industry suck up more brain juice than this industry like economists entrepreneurs investors regulators banks governments everybody's in this fucking industry here Here's a big problem that I still see it is it's is it's got to do with government and financial institutions because yes. they want to control monetary policy and money. Governments want to be able to manipulate it. You know, they've they've done it very well with fiat currency. Um, yep. Like one of the biggest mind fucks that I see is 
you can go out and get a mortgage and a bank will produce numbers on a spreadsheet say four hundred thousand dollars they'll they'll put four hundred thousand dollars on a spreadsheet that they'll technically lend to you but they don't have four hundred thousand dollars on deposit no it's fractional reserve and then they put a collateral loan against a real asset which if you don't pay the mortgage payments they then exchange pretend numbers on a screen for money they never had on deposit for a yeah. real asset with real value like yeah. that is the biggest fuckery that I've ever seen throughout history. That's one of the many different things you know. What, what you IMF say. does though too. IMF will lend billions of dollars to nation states and be like, if you can't pay, we take your natural resources. Yeah, and it's like you know, you get this feeling that this that this whole house of cards needs to collapse at some point, but it keeps going. They keep manufacturing ways to to make it persistent to perpetuity, and. I mean, I was even saying this a couple of years ago, like Bitcoin's got to solve this problem, right? Well, Bitcoin for me, at least in its current manifestation is censorship resistant, um, censorship resistant value. I don't view it as digital gold. I don't recommend people put a lot of money in it. I think if you're an investor, it'd be foolish of you to not have at least one to 2% of exposure to Bitcoin, because if mm -hmm. it does take off, which I think it will, you have asymmetrical returns. It's an uncorrelated asset class. Now, for regular people, throw a thousand or throw a hundred, throw five. But I don't view it as oh, it's it, it, you know the narrative's digital gold or store of value. How the fuck's a store of value if it's fluctuating so much? That's not the value prop. You know the value prop is censorship resistant. The fact that I own my keys, I own my Bitcoin. You know, I have friends of mine. True story. I have friends of mine who escaped Venezuela with Bitcoin and started a new life in Canada, like Maduro, which. Uh, if you guys don't know, Maduro is this, the president uh, of Venezuela. He was after them and uh, they escaped and they came to Canada. And the fact that they can, whether write down their seed phrase, like let's say on an SD card, put in an SD card or do a mine bank or write down a people, the very, the very essence of them, all they need to know is 24 words that they can then still access value some other country. If you really think about it, it's a mind fuck. Mm -hmm. So that's the value prop of Bitcoin. It has its censorship resistance is what gives it power. We we've seen a lot of people try to um, monetize crypto and blockchain and everything that kind of ties yes. into it. Like, you know, I see people that will sell you cryptocurrency trading courses on Bitcoin. What do you think of these things? Oh, bullshit. Why do you think it's bullshit? <sighs> One like a couple of things like depending on your emotional response, like everybody has a different sensitivity when it comes to being an investor. There's high risk investors, there's low risk investors, you know, we call it risk averse. Type of mm -hmm. person. What is your risk averse spectrum? Um, if you look at it, statistically speaking, uh, specifically for Bitcoin, or if you got in early in Ethereum, uh, if you just held, you made way more money than trading. Yeah, way more money. Uh, number two, people don't even, they don't think about this. If you're in Canada as a trader, if that's your primary income, that's your income, your tax income level as a trader. So that's something else to think about, right? At least if you ever sell your Bitcoin in the future, you're only selling it for capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's like, and the alpha too, if anyone's out there with the investment world thinking about this, like the alpha is not that great when it comes to like trading, trading right now, because even though it's like 240 or 260 billion market cap there's not too much alpha currently when it comes to like high frequency trading what do you mean by so, alpha when you say that 
the arbitrage opportunity that you can get between flipping different currencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not big on trading. What do you think the um, the future opportunities are with blockchain and cryptocurrencies right now as you see it? It would be the you, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Bitcoin stays Bitcoin as long as the as long as block is created every 10 minutes and the hash network is increasing, which is good. And the DeFi space, so OpenFi, where you you can bypass you can bypass certain banks and regulations in in places of need. See, the places that I mentioned that use this are places of necessity. It's not North America. Latin America uses it. Turkey uses it. Iran uses it. Now Hong Kong uses it. If people have been keeping up with the Hong Kong situation, mm-hmm. the HSBC Bank shut down the charity accounts associated with the protesters in Hong Kong, so their finances were cut off enter crypto mm. um and so we saw this with wikileaks in fact one of the reasons why bitcoin took off back then was julian assange started accepting bitcoin and got a flood of bitcoin on wikileaks they're one of the first merchants or global known entities to accept bitcoin uh so that's where i think DeFi in places of necessity it, we see it already taking off like last time i checked i check right now i think there's about um uh d5 d5 portfolio i think there's about 700 million dollars worth of ether locked in d5 think about it that's and what does d5 stand for decentralized finance okay yeah. um there's um there's a having event coming in coming in the in spring yeah. yeah what does that mean for bitcoin uh the miners will lose 50 percent of the reward so i think the rewards 12 bitcoin right now and so that means in may roughly they'll be only getting six bitcoin as a as a block reward so why is that hardwired into the code and what does that mean for bitcoin after the halving event it's more difficult uh, the mining difficulties increase uh the supply decreases as well um, and it creates it creates more scarcity necessity and it creates a stronger network so the mining difficulties increases as well okay so that so that should mean that coming the having event the value of bitcoin should increase i think in it's theory. priced already yeah you think it's priced in yeah interesting what are you doing with uh, crypto these days because you're super bullish on it and lately i've been seeing you doing doing a lot of podcast interviews with really interesting people um, it's almost like um you know joe rogan the canadian style yeah yeah uh it's a good question i'm sitting on the sidelines in crypto Mm -hmm. i think like i said we're really really early like i'm helping some companies but they're not primarily crypto they're regulated in canada they have to work you know msb license i work with a bunch of crypto loans so we do loans to latin america and i work with a crypto exchange here as well obviously with block geeks for education but i'm sitting on the sidelines and letting the market mature a bit until I make my next play, if I do make a big play in the space. I haven't seen anything that I'm like, this, like I, I'm I'm a simple entrepreneur, man. I'm not the guy that's gonna raise a hundred million dollars and like pray to like fucking profit God. I'm like, hey, profit God, let me figure out how to make money off of this. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I, want a, I want a business model as of yesterday, not, mm-hmm. not tomorrow, like yesterday. I need to figure out how the fuck to make money yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- that doesn't really exist yet. That's one of the hurdles the blockchain space is kind of going through is like new Web 3.0 business models. There's some preliminary ones, but we're very early. And so, yeah, so I'm just chilling on sidelines and then letting them uh, place uh, the, the industry mature. And then the podcast, man, I just were for fun, man. It's sitting down with cool people like yourself, interviewing like amazing professors and, and athletes and entrepreneurs and investors. It's just 
great way to also bring the community of Toronto together. What's your um, biggest aha moment takeaway been from all the podcast interviews? Because I mean, they're quite long. I mean, it looks like they're about an hour and a half to two hours long. You talk to a lot of interesting people. Um, from the Toronto aspect, like, yo, we have some serious top A talent in Toronto, like amazing people. Like really surprised that like it's a big city. Team. Yeah, it's a big city. Yeah. There's a lot of really smart guys in the city for like, sure. Like really smart, especially when it comes to like evolutionary psychology and biology professors. Like we got some like top, top notch people. Mm-hmm. Um one thing surprising, like I think people I think a lot of people like they're also blown away. I wouldn't say blown away, but they they appreciate the long form conversation. I think it's refreshing. A lot of the feedback that I get is like I tell people there's no preset questions. There's nothing to expect. Uh, This is just us sitting down and having a good conversation. Mm. And I don't think so. A lot of people are kind of accustomed to that format. What's the aim for it? Like, are you trying to build it up to something that looks like a Joe Rogan podcast? Or are you just trying to, or is it like one of those things where you just start, you know, throwing some shit at the wall and seeing what starts to stick? Because I mean, like, realistically, if you want, if I, if I'm going to be honest with you, I yeah. do it for greedy reasons. I just want to sit in front of cool people and just talk with them. Yeah, that's kind of why I'm doing it. Just, <laughs> honestly, it's why I'm doing the playing the win series. It's just because I like talking to really smart people. It's, it, it's like part of the reason why I set up the channel is I tell people this all the time. It's a, I like being around smart entrepreneurs and fast cars. And that's kind of why yeah. I started because I wanted to interview my friends and their success rides. So it's like, yep, yep. this is a really easy way for me to be like, yo, Amir, I'll text you and you know, here's a link, join in, let's have a, a chat. Um, what the fuck was I going to go to with that, man? I'm kind of like bouncing all over the place here with like, oh, look, a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, it's the beauty of this. Um, so speaking of oh look a squirrel i mean like your youtube channel is very similar to mine i was looking at um you know your channel before you clicked on it. i just kind of like you know sorted by popularity and there was a video there on modafinil and i was like watching that for about seven minutes like you know well what's modafinil i use modafinil you know from time to time when i'm writing but um like you've been all over the place with the channel and it's like the inconsistency with the narrative that you're doing like it's not a business for you like you really do it to kind of like create something no business man i do it i do i like teaching like what do you do youtube for to teach i just i I literally like teaching like if if i wasn't an entrepreneur i'll just teach but not like public school like teach for free like i like teaching i you know i'm like richard feynman i'm very curious i'm like like what's the best way for me to learn about something is to know it enough to teach it to somebody else what do you wish more people would know intuitively that you have to teach them good question how to ask better questions i think it's a big one i i want to say that was instinctive for me at the beginning i learned what do you mean by better questions like their questions are too basic or they're not defined enough no 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 like it doesn't matter where you are. What doesn't let me let me put it this way? It doesn't matter where you are in your life. If you're having issues with your wife, or your relationship is great, or if your business is shit, or your business is great, um, you're always you're we we view life through the perception of our own eyes, and we you know there's that uh, theory of biocentrism where we are creating reality by the second or by the milla tenth of a second. So reality is being created by us visualizing on it as opposed to reality just being there. Mm. And, you know, you look at uh, Einstein's special relativity theory, everybody's right. It's true. Like how you, how Richard views 
life is correct. How Amir views life is correct. Richard would say X, I'll say Y, but we're both correct. However, there is certain heuristics that we can use to better understand what we're trying to perceive. And so it's better questioning. It's better uh, check. So it's maybe not a checklist. It's like we're very binary thinking. So when it comes to a certain problem, I, I'm at fault with well, their human. You know, I, this, I, I had to learn this through just, you know, there's a saying, um, I'm like a, a, a smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from other people's mistakes. I'm like, fuck, I still need to uh, graduate to a wise man. I'm still learning from <laughs> fucking mistakes, right? And so- I think I've me, heard uh, Warren Buffett say that a few times, actually. Yeah, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, uh, instead of viewing everything like, uh, you know, let's say we have problem A and it can be a problem of like, I don't know, some business problem. We, was, we have two options like, oh, I got to, hire more people or fire more people. In reality, you have a multitude of different options, right? You have to start thinking outside the box. And this is why like better questions yield better answer. I think we have to kind of stop being very reactive towards the situation and become mm -hmm. responsive. And so one of my favorite books I recommend people to read is uh, Rick, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, mm -hmm. a phenomenal fucking book. And for better questions would be and I had him on my podcast twice, he's actually in Toronto, he's phenomenal at this, is Dr. Christopher DiCarlo, and his book is called How to Be a Jackass. I'll write that down, I'll put it on my list. Yeah, yeah, and it's all about how to ask better questions. He has something called the ABCD model. Mm -hmm. Why do you like how to be a jackass? It actually lists exactly how to think more clearly. Oh, okay. Like there's a heuristic, like you go through A, like this is what A means. This is kind of the framework you use. You go to B, this is what B means, like the biases, you know, C is context. Okay. Um, got a question here. Somebody posted, uh, they're asking about time management. Amir, how do you manage your daily, your time daily and prioritize your goals? Oh, it's a good question. I do chunking. So 90 minutes. So in science has shown that 90 minutes is the most optimal human focus time you can give and so i chunk my time so if i'm doing emails is 90 minutes i only do emails um, i won't uh, multitask so whether it's emails or phone calls let's say like i need to reply so it's really dumb work i don't need to use cognitive load i would chunk all that non-cognitive load work in a 90 minutes same thing if i have to be creative and i have to write something out or i have to think of something or map something out i would chunk that into 90 minutes it'll be 90 minute break 90 minute and so that's kind of by everything's by chunking. Like that's pretty much it. What do you think of? Um, did you read James Clear's um, Atomic Habits? I know the book. I didn't read it. Yeah, interesting read. It's it's kind of like um, what you're talking about, but it's stacking things together and just you can say, listen. At the end of the day, everyone's somewhere. wired differently too. Like mm -hmm. one thing, I I I personally don't believe in free will. I don't believe that you can think what you want and do what you want. Uh, we know in studies, we know how human beings work. You mentioned earlier with PTSD, we are one of the biggest triggers in your life is your environment. So I don't care uh, how much you want to think you become a better person. If you have a fucking shitty wife, I wouldn't say shitty, but if you have a, not even a wife, a partner, let's say that's not supportive, good luck trying to become better, right? Uh, if you are trying to go to the gym and your gym's an hour and away, good luck trying to get to the gym every fucking day. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. your environment has to be conducive to your success. It's like, it's pretty fucking black and white when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to wrap this up in about 10 or 15 minutes because we're coming up on 90 minutes, but, um, like for you, 
you're still young man you're in your early 30s right i mean like yeah you know i tell guys when you're a lot younger when you're in your 20s and 30s definitely play to win right because i mean if you fuck up you're gonna fall down you get back up you just start all oh, over yeah. again plus the roi is very high whereas playing not to lose is a little more defensive like when you when you've made the money you've put your little dent in the universe it's okay to kind of peel back a little bit on the risk sort of profile. Where are you right now on playing the win versus playing not to lose? I'm. I think I'm hardwired to play to win for the rest of my life. I'm. Uh, my 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 men, and this is why once again I think if you, uh, you know Steven Sisler, so I, I think mm-hmm. his work is one of the best work. I do his disc profiling all the time. He publicly analyzed me on his podcast a couple of weeks ago. If anyone's interested in. It's kind of pretty fucking spooky. I've done it, like I mentioned a bunch of times. So, if, like for me, I'm hardwired to play to be crazy for the rest of my life. That's how I am. I'm not. How did stupid. you? How did you, you discover know? that? Like, is it Just through this profiling? You do auditing of your behavior in the background, and you ask yourself mm-hmm. certain questions of what you what turns you on, what the, what turns you off, you know. And you come to archetypical design of what because you have your genetics, then you have epigenetics, which is your software. Your genetics, your substrates dictates how your software behaves, right? So your software behaves in a certain bell curve and a spectrum. So you deviate your natural behavior within a lineage or within a spectrum. It's not mm-hmm. like Amir behaves like this and behaves like that. No, no, no. I just behave within this range like this. And it's a common denominator in my life. I behave like that. Now the context that the, the context of your environment dictates within that spectrum how you behave. And so for me, it's like Unless I'm, I have to be challenging myself. I like, if I'm not challenged, uh, and if I'm not pushed to the max, I lose interest. I wouldn't even do it. And I'm not driven by money. Another thing too, like I'm not one of these like hardcore, let's say like, economic opportunists. Where like, oh, I know for a fact I can make a meal. I don't give a flying fuck. Well, that's interesting because I mean, you're you're also talking about looking for a big exit too. And did you uh, measure big big exit as in a form of monetary? No, or for me, that's a side effect of creating massive value. Got it. Yeah. And I know I'm capable. The thing of the primary reason for me saying that is I know what I'm fucking capable of. Yeah. And I would actually be fucking pissed off if I don't build something because I know I'm capable of building it. Yeah. It's one thing I feel you're not capable of and you have no experience, but like I see a fucking path to build it. I get the feeling that you're kind of lost, but you're looking. Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly where I am. I'm lost. I'm looking. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting place to be because a lot of people will say like, like, how do you get on your purpose? Like, how do you find what it is that you want to do? And I get the vibe that you're lost right now, but you're looking in one of the like platforms, one of the mediums that you use to uh, seek answers or to find the next thing for you is actually this podcasting thing, because it gives you an opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation like a well-documented one too that you can actually put out so other people can see, but a well-documented conversation with very smart people that, you know, kind of open up new doors for you. Yeah. Listen, like at the end of the day, I hate this. I used to be a long time ago, appreciative of the word, you know, follow your bliss as Joseph Campbell would say, or Mm -hmm. find your passion for me. It's like, it's bullshit. Like what you need to do is like first fucking build hardcore skills. If you don't have skills, your passion is useless. Like build your fucking skills. You know, I was in the trenches, building multiple startups, learning marketing for more than a decade, you know, bleeding that shit, understanding it. Uh, so I had the skills and I'm always learning. Um, and the other thing is exposure, right? So like in in, in my current state of like a, a, a scanning or R&D or searching is like, just talk to people, just talk. Don't force anything, just talk, investigate, talk, investigate. And you'll eventually find something. And then you just got to ask yourself, it's like, 
you narrow down maybe two, three different options. Ask yourself why you're interested in these options, why you're building this. Like for me, the stuff that I focus on, it has to be like for me, there has to be uh, um, a higher purpose for building this type of business. Like, is it helping people? Is it, is it like, or, or is it just a quick flip to make money? Like for me, I don't care. It's not like I'm fucking struggling. And like I need a dollar. Mm. So for me, I have the least a luxury and opportunity to have that choice to be like, okay, I can focus on something that that deliver. Like that's why I'm saying psychedelics, like to deliver fucking immense value to people around the world. Um. Are you looking for like a frying pan to the forehead moment? Like I call it a frying pan to the forehead moment because it's like um, for me when I was doing the stuff on the channel with creating the content, I kind of moved from cars talking about business stuff. And then for, for some reason, it just kind of leaned into dealing with the dynamics on the sexual marketplace between men and women. And at some point, I got so many emails and such positive feedback. It was like taking a frying pan to the forehead. It's like, okay, this is what I need to be doing right now. And I'm still doing that. And like... My, my final summary of all that's going to be the book. Like I'm basically distilling everything that I've learned now. I'm going to put it in this document and that'll be like done, close, everything's there that you need to know. Is that what you're looking for? Like a frying pan to the forehead moment? I think it'll happen. I got that with crypto. You know, after I went to my third meetup, I got the, oh, holy fuck, this is crazy. I'm in. Like that was the moment. Mm. And I wanted to drop everything else I'm doing my life and only focus on this. Like I was sold. Mm. So that happened to me when I entered crypto like seven years ago. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm looking for I, I'm not forceful. It's just I have the opportunity now of, through my past experiences to be like. Sit back and let's see what happens. Yeah, no, I dig it, man. I think um, I think we should wrap it up on that note. That was a really good conversation. I enjoyed uh, having a chat with you. Um, one thing before we go here, I just want to let you guys know that I'm building this email list for the uh, book that's coming out in the next couple months. So if you haven't gotten on it, it's just entrepreneursandcars.com forward slash red dash flags. And um, that's one of the free chapters that I'm going to put out. Uh, just covering red flags you want to avoid when it comes to dealing with uh, women on a sexual marketplace. Where can people find you, Amir? The best is I spend most of my time jamming on Twitter under my name, Amir Rosick. And uh, you can catch my podcast and some of my daily rants that I do on my YouTube channel, which is also just my name, Amir Rosick. All right, so check him out. Um, he's got some great interviews. There'll be one coming out in the uh, next couple of weeks that me and him did last Friday. So you can look out for some uh, for some shits and giggles and some provoking there. But um, yeah, man, thanks for hanging out. I really appreciate you uh, hey, my pleasure, man. spending thanks for some time. Me, man. I'll catch up with you soon, brother. Thanks. Yeah, man.